Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Definitely check them out. And uh, Jared, if people want to follow your work and, and read your stuff, uh, where should we send them? CityLimits.org, and I'm Jarrett Murphy on Twitter. Awesome, Jarrett. Thank you so much for helping me out, man. Really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate you it. Too. Take care, Celeste. Take care, man. Uh, so you are listening here to WBAI 99.5 FM. We're streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz. I am your host for the evening here. And uh, now that uh, the uh, results here in the special uh, public advocate election seem to be shaping up, I'll just give you one more. Uh, okay, we are now at 8652 percent of the scanners counted according to the New York City Board of Elections. We have Jumani Williams uh, of the It's Time Let's Go party uh, at 33.02 percent of the vote. We have Eric Ulrich second place with the Common Sense Party, 19.13 percent of the vote. And uh, coming up in third place, Melissa Mark Viverito of Fix the MTA Party. Uh, She's at 11.06 percent of the vote. Uh, Again, public advocate is the watchdog. Uh, Counterbalance to the mayor uh, can uh, introduce legislation to help the people out, field the complaints, and and, uh, importantly, is the next in line uh, in succession to the mayor should something happen. So uh, definitely a uh, definitely a contest worth watching. And we're very glad that uh, I'm very glad that you are here with us to talk about it. We're going to have some uh, really good guests coming up in the next hour. We are just going to take a brief break and then we will be back with more coverage of the public advocate election. I'm Celeste Katz. You're listening to WBAI. WBAI's local station board elections are underway, and we encourage you to vote. WBAI has to make up another 3% to achieve listener quorum, another 210 or so listener votes, and another 20 or so votes to achieve a staff quorum. Please look out for your electronic ballot from vote at simplyvoting.com. If you haven't received a ballot and you are a listener member or a staff person at WBAI, write to the election supervisor by emailing NES, which stands for National Election Supervisor, NES at Pacifica.org, and visit elections.pacifica.org for more information. All ballots must be received by March 5th in order to be counted. Maliki McCourt here. On Sunday, March the 17th, St. Patrick's Day, the time, 4 to 6 p.m. The place is The Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. There will be a film that's directed by Connor McCourt called The McCourts of New York, which lasts about an hour. There will be talk, there will be jokes, there will be jests, there will be humor, 
and fun with myself, Maliki McCourt, and John McDonough. And our Jewish MC on St. Patrick's Day is David Rothenberg. Again, it's on Sunday, March the 17th, from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Commons, which is also the home of WBAI. Get your tickets at WBAI.org. Hello WBAI listeners, this is Caridad de la Luz, La Bruja, artist, poet, powerhouse, inviting you to join us on March 15th at SOB's to celebrate Latina artists for Women's History Month. With performances by comedian Sarah Contreras, vocalist Calmencita Sings, master pianist Amy Quint Millang, Williamsburg Salsa Orchestra, and myself. Doors open at 5 p.m., showtime is at 6 p.m., and party all night long. For tickets, go to WBAI.org, SOBs.com, or TicketWeb.com, and support the station that creates elevation. Hi, this is Tony Roberts. And you're listening to WBAI in New York, the voice of truth since 1960. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, and we're streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz, and you are listening to special coverage of the New York City Public Advocate Race. And I uh, just want to give you a little update here. I know that some of the uh, some of the other outlets have called it, but uh, we have here uh, via the Board of Elections tally uh, 87.48 percent of the uh, of the scanners counted and right now we have Jumani Williams of the it's time let's go party he's at 33.07 percent of the uh, of the tally uh, Eric Ulrich of the common sense party at 19.1 percent and in third place Melissa Mark Viverito 
former city council speaker, uh, at 11.04%. So remember, there are uh, 17 people on the ballot. This was a a really wild race. This is, again, uh, the uh, race to replace uh, Letitia James. She was uh, the former public advocate here. She has now gone on, of course, to be our secretary of, uh, excuse me, our uh, attorney general uh, for New York State. Um, But, you know, this has been an interesting race. And uh, I'm glad to hear that um, people are interested in it. People are calling in. People are, are talking about it. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm uh, here with you for special programming tonight, but uh, usually I am the uh, co-host of Driving Forces. That's a politics and public policy program here on WBAI on Thursdays at five o'clock. And we've had a bunch of discussions and some interviews with candidates uh, for uh, for public advocate. And, uh, you know, Sometimes we talk a little bit about some controversies that have surrounded this office, frankly. Uh, it's not that old of an office. Uh, it's not heavily uh, financed, but uh, you know, some people have said it should be better financed. Some people say, yeah, get rid of it. You know, we could do something else with the money or we could, you know, we could find a, a better way to, uh, uh, you know, to spend uh, to spend the uh, taxpayers' dime, uh, some people have even suggested. Look, I mean, what does the public advocate really do? That's that much different from what any other responsible elected uh, public official should do, which is respond to people's concerns, take their complaints, uh, propose legislation, and so on. So. In a really kind of an interesting, uh, really kind of an interesting uh, debate there. And uh, while uh, while we are waiting to name a new public advocate, uh, by the way, City Council Speaker Corey Johnson is serving as the acting public advocate. And uh, let's just listen to a little bit of what he had to say about this job. There are a lot of talented people that are running. Uh, I know almost every person uh, that's running. I'm going to make sure that whoever's elected. Uh, that we give them a detailed briefing memo on what we've been working on for six or seven weeks, and I'm happy to work with them. I believe in independent budgeting. Um, I don't think that the public advocate's office should have a budget that relies upon the mayor and the city council. It's a, it's a check and balance in government, just like I believe other parts of government should have independent budgets. So I think there are conversations to be had about how to enhance the role of public advocate, and whoever's elected, I'm happy to work with them and brief them on the COPIC hearing that we had yesterday. So uh, the the city council speaker, uh, uh, Corey Johnson, uh, made these comments uh, around a uh, city council stated meeting on uh, February 13th. This is uh, not too far back in history. And he did have a little more to say. We are, uh, Max is going to bring up one more clip uh, about his personal position on uh, on this uh, this job, this watchdog position in uh, in city government, and uh, what he thinks of it. As acting public advocate, um, has actually been more work than I imagined, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Um, the public advocate's office uh, gets a lot more constituent complaints than I realized on a day-to-day basis the incredible staff at the Public Advocate's Office and the folks here at the Council who have been um, helping out the Public Advocate's Office during this period have been bombarded by complaints, um, constituent cases and issues. And I have uh, been over at the Public 
public advocate's office on uh, numerous visits to talk to the staff, meet with the staff, get the casework in order. So I actually think the, the casework is a much bigger aspect of the job than I ever realized. And I think former public advocate Betsy Gopbaum uh, has been really the, the siren song on talking about the ombudsman aspect at, as the charter granted. One potential thing to look at is given that 311 is supposed to be the central nerve system of constituent complaints in New York City, I think having a conversation about the public advocate having a role in 311 would be an important conversation to have. So that, again, was uh, acting public advocate and uh, city council speaker Corey Johnson talking about the future of the office and the nature of the office and and what it all means. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Jumani Williams, the, the uh, city councilman from Brooklyn and recent uh, recent candidate for lieutenant governor, uh, seems to be very, very well in the lead. And we are about to go to... Uh, uh, a special guest of ours who you may very, very well know if you are a listener to uh, WBAI. We are now going to uh, go live live in the field for, uh, to speak to um, um, Arthur Schwartz. He is uh, at Jumani Williams Victory Headquarters tonight, and uh, I'm sure you've uh, listened to his program, but uh, if you have not, then I could just give you a little background on uh, on him. He is uh, somebody that I actually have spoken to before because he has been involved in progressive politics and uh, democratic politics here in the city for quite a while, quite a while, and um, is actually the co-attorney, among many other things, for the Jamani Williams campaign. So, Arthur, good to have you on the program. Hi, hi. Uh, interesting night. Very interesting night. What's cooking? So I, I, well, I mean, what's cooking is that uh, it's pretty clear that Jamani won. Um, I stepped outside. Uh, it's very noisy in his party. Um, the, um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of, a lot of lessons to be uh, drawn out of this. Uh, I'll spend some time talking about it if you ask me. Um, I'm asking. And, uh, the Jumani is an interesting guy because I think his his campaign was a um, combination of um, a combination of uh, efforts of the progressive um, I'll call it the Bernie Crat community for for one of a better word. Okay, uh, and. The Central Brooklyn, African American, Caribbean community working together um, on this race, and progressives throughout the city, uh, and it bodes well. You know, Jumani. I actually met Jumani. Um, I was counsel to Bernie Sanders' campaign in 2016, and uh, Jumani actually ran to be a delegate to the DNC and was elected. And, and went to the uh, Democratic Convention as delegate for Bernie Sanders, and <clears throat> came out of that um, came out of that uh, convention uh, as as part of a group of people that created a statewide progressive Bernie Krat network, which we call the New York Progressive Action Network, and um, and that that has been an important 
you know, it's developed over the years. I mean, one of the weaknesses of Bernie's movement in New York and everywhere mm-hmm. uh, was how white it was. And <clears throat> the and NIPAN and the people, NIPAN and the Working Families Party, who had worked together on the Bernie Sanders campaign, uh, worked really hard on Germani's campaign for lieutenant governor, which naturally ran into this campaign for public advocate, and has resulted in a, um, you know, a, a, a very interesting, you know, collaboration between, <coughs> um, between black and Afro-Caribbean New Yorkers and the progressive white activists in the city. And so this is a big, it's a big win for that part of uh, Democratic Party politics. Um, and very exciting for for everybody who's been working with Jumani, who we all learned was fairly, uh, I'll say I've been in politics for a long time. You, you said for a long time, I'm going to say, oh, he's old. Um, for a long time, I've been doing Democratic Party politics only, actually only for like 25 years. I spent another 15, 20 years thinking uh, electoral politics was way beyond my interest. But um, Jumani is like an amazingly humble and smart and thinking and somebody who, who really listens to people. Uh, Gail Brewer, she uh, endorsed him. Uh, you know, talk to him about he's one of the realest people that she's ever met in politics. You know, when you when you talk to him, you don't feel like he's looking down at you or or uh, uh, or you know, sort of rolling his eyes or just doing it, you know, in a perfunctory manner. And I think that's part of why he won. Um, Germani, in when he ran for lieutenant governor, which I think is part of why he's where he is today. Uh, Germani drove around New York State. <clears throat> he had a he raised a total of three hundred thousand um, dollars. Hochul raised a million dollars on her own, and Cuomo's campaign, which was Cuomo Hochul, spent thirty four million dollars. He raised three hundred thousand dollars and didn't have a budget to go fly all over New York State. He drove around. Mm-hmm. He met with people all over the state, and he won people over. Uh, he impressed people with how smart he was and how sincere he was and i think that that's that's what led to the times endorsing him then it led to the times endorsing him last week and we'll we'll now get to see him more as a uh, a leading public official uh, in the city and we'll see if he can uh, you know he can live up to his his promise i think one of the things that has impressed a lot of people about him is although he's an activist um the man was able to author and be the prime uh, sponsor of 53 pieces of legislation in his uh, first eight years as a city council member. Right. So um, incredibly, he's certainly out there. And I mean, we've all uh, you know, seen him protesting and even being arrested as part of protests, but also at the same time, like very much nose to the grindstone in terms of the actual work of being a legislator. And, not, and, and work so that it also means that he had to win over allies, mm-hmm. right? So he wasn't just like one of these angry leftists who, who, who you know, got arrested and made a public, made a statement. Um, like there were some other wonderful people in politics who do that and don't make friends in various legislatures. Um, Germani was able to win allies. He was able to get co-sponsors. He was able to uh, 
with the um, the bill the bill that ended stop and frisk, he was able to uh, get enough city council people together to uh, override a mayoral veto. And um, I know, you know, obviously from from covering him, I covered him in the the council and so on, and have talked to him and written about him many times. But I mean, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, as somebody who's directly involved in the campaign. You know, what is it that really set him apart? It's look, there are there are lots of smart people in New York. There are a lot of people who feel really civically minded. There are a lot of people who uh, can make a positive impression at a campaign event or or raise money or whatever. What is it about him that's really different that, you know, you think really won people over? I think I think what won people over is this sense of Jumani being uh, genuine. It's his sense that it, there's no question about his activism. I think that he's racked up about 10 arrests, so he puts his, puts his body where his mouth is. Um, he, you know, is uh, is someone who isn't afraid to stand up in public and make a statement, um, even though he has, hey, how you doing? Has Tourette, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and and could be self-conscious about doing that. And in, in some ways, it's it's sort of a humbling thing. Um, he is incredibly passionate, and it doesn't come across as made up. Um, he walks into a room and he says, you know, you know, let's go. Uh, and he leads a chant before he ever makes makes a speech, um, and and I think that if he's every place, every forum that I went to and saw him speaking at, uh, he electrified the crowd. And uh, um, you know, before he started speaking and really turned people on and made them feel like you know that he was he was a mover and a shaker, and not just somebody and 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 no negativity. Um, no negativity. Uh, he, he didn't attack any other candidates. Um, there were some people in this race who uh, who decided that the way that they were going to run their um, campaign was to attack other candidates. I think, to some extent, um, uh, Melissa Mark Viverito got into that towards the end when she could see that things weren't going her way. Um, and Giovanni doesn't didn't do that. He doesn't talk to negative about anybody. And I think that, that that's something that people like to see in a candidate being a politician, you know, someone who isn't running against other people, but running for uh, a cause. Well, and I don't know if this is exactly what you were referring to, but correct me if I'm wrong, when you talk about, you know, things sort of at the end of the race, and and there were a few people I mentioned earlier in the program uh, that faced some 11th hour uh, coverage that was potentially less than uh, less than flattering. Um, and and uh, Councilman Williams was one of them. There was this mention of this uh, uh, incident back in 2009. Again, uh, uh, it was a dispute with, uh, I understand, his uh, partner at the time. The charges were dropped. The, uh, the case was sealed. But uh, we are still seeing from everything I'm looking at right now an over, overwhelming, overwhelming victory with, uh, uh, right, and that with was- the public. That that last minute, um, that last minute thing, which which I hope gets looked into, mm-hmm. uh, it reminds me of uh, some incident, and I can't remember which who who it was where Rudy Giuliani dug up some uh, sealed uh, criminal charges of, about somebody who had been killed by the police or Patrick Dorismond, uh, maybe. Yeah, and um, um, you know, so here it is. Jamani had some minor incident. I don't even believe he was charged. He never pled. 
you never had a plea. Yeah, from what I understand, it charges were dropped, the case was sealed. Right, the case was sealed. And how does something that's 10 years old, that's sealed, all of a sudden wind up in the hands of a public official? It means to me that there are people, like, I don't, I think there are people in the PD, uh, in the police department, maybe that, that don't want Jamani Williams to be, um, to be the public advocate. They don't want to see him, who was really the leader of the, the stop and frisk movement in New York City, both, both as an activist and as a legislator. Uh, and, um, you know, somehow sealed records get, get distributed. And then, you know, for Melissa and uh, Nomiki Kant, who I have lots to say about, and um, uh, to have a press conference yesterday and say they demanded answers from Jamani about what, what this was about, mm-hmm. um, is, the, is the worst, that was the worst kind of politics that we really don't need, uh, we don't need in New York. This was not where, this wasn't even a Me Too moment where somebody, um, came forward and said, you know, Jamani Williams did this to me and blah, blah, blah. This was like a leaked, sealed, dropped uh, allegation, and it was just meant to, to smear him. And I think that um, most people had already made up their minds, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and most people had already decided to vote for him. And, and the, um, you know, the support was pretty broad. I'm sort of standing, uh, looking at some results from uh, on the New York One uh, board, uh, it looks like he, I mean, he won in every borough, and except Staten Island, where he came pretty close to Ehrlich, uh, uh, Ulrich. Um, and, um, Interesting. You know, that says, that says a lot, you know, that he, he was able to, to carry all those different, um, all those different communities. And, um, uh, and oh, I see now on the, uh, uh, Gail Brewer is, is, is speaking. She's probably going to be introducing him. Gail's support for Jamani said so much. Uh, it was so important to his race. You know, Gail, who was one of the most respected politicians, at least in, in Manhattan, uh, mm-hmm. principled, honest, also very unassuming, uh, but effective uh, political leader. You know, she endorsed Jamani uh, last week. Uh, it, it was a big, it was a big, a uh, lot of people arriving. Uh, it was a big, um, big boost to his campaign. Um, I know that uh, I, I just uh, I looked at the the uh, poll results in on the Democratic district leader in Greenwich Village, and I looked at one of the bigger poll sites, and um, you know, Jamani was running in 40, 40 to forty five percent in a place like Greenwich Village, and mm. and um, and Gail's support meant a lot in Manhattan. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, and uh, Arthur Schwartz, you're reporting uh, live on the scene from uh, from Victory Headquarters. Uh, I can call it Victory Headquarters now. I I, uh, I know it's not a uh, not certified results, but uh, just tell us a little bit more about before they go into the speeches. A little bit more about the the mood tonight, and uh, you know how the people look and feel and sound. What's what's going on? Give us the, uh, the well. Color. You know, it's it's a very happy crowd. It's a largely it's a crowd. It's a it's a largely um, black crowd mm-hmm. here, but there there are white uh, activists here. There are people from all over the city, uh, and people are ecstatic. I mean, they're really ecstatic because uh, you know this, this this victory party is right in the middle of uh, his district mm-hmm. that he's represented. He got ninety nine percent of the vote last um, the last time he ran, 
and uh, wow. people in this community really love him. And so it's like, you know, somebody, somebody from uh, central Brooklyn, you know, getting elected to citywide office uh, is, a, is a big thing. Right now on the stage is uh, um, the head of New York Communities for Change, uh, um, who is also, which also provided big support for, um, for Giovanni in this, uh, in this election. Um, reflecting their base and the people that they organize, which are lar- a very large part of them are in Brooklyn, and um, um, and they they did a lot of door-to-door uh, work in uh, in various communities in Brooklyn to to pull out the vote. Um, uh, now I see um, Bill Lipton is on the stage. Uh, oh, okay, he's the executive director of the New York State Working Families Party. Yeah. Um, which, um, you know, backed Jumani in, in the uh, lieutenant governor race, and they backed Jumani in this race, and also uh, provided a lot of the political expertise that was uh, useful in, in planning uh, a campaign. Um, I think they were prohibited by law from giving money, but they certainly gave a lot of expertise and, and advice and, uh, um, and, and went out to their supporters and called on them to uh, uh, to support Jamani. And, um, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Saturday at uh, 11.30, Bernie Sanders is going to be at Brooklyn College. How about that? And I would not be surprised if Jamani Williams introduces them. I mean, I'm just speculating. But, uh, um, you know, that it's going to be a big event, and, uh, and it's intentionally... You know, being held in Brooklyn, it's Bernie's first campaign event. Right. Uh, well, Brooklyn, Brooklyn is uh, is uh, his home base, right, Bernie? Brooklyn's his home base, but Brooklyn is not the place <laughs> that he grew up in um, 60 years ago, uh, 70 years ago. Uh, and uh, Brooklyn College is not, you know, the place he went to when he was a freshman. Um, but he's starting there, and, uh, and I know that... Uh, that one of the big goals that he has and that his movement has is to bridge that gap between, you know, uh, the white progressive Bernie Craddock movement and, uh, and the black community that, you know, was, was not supportive of his race for the most part, even though Jamani was, um, back. He was, is even a little hint at some of the politics, you know, where some of this plays into some of the larger political issues of uh, 2020. Right. Oh, well, definitely. I mean, that's that's I uh, certainly agree with you on that. And I know that you are, uh, uh, you know, there on the scene with uh, a lot of stuff going on. So just uh, one more question for you. And uh, of course, I'm encouraging people to uh, listen to your program. You are um, uh, advocating for justice. That's Monday at 5 p.m. on BAI. Am I right? Yep. Okay. Mondays at five. Okay. Mondays. Rodney Spashad just spoke, and now Brad Lander. Oh, okay. Who was a big supporter? Uh, he's on the stage, and uh, um, and I have a feeling that Giovanni is about to to give his uh, victory speech. So I'm going to take leave. And, okay, and, and uh, you guys can check back in 15, 20 minutes, and I'll tell you what he says. Yeah. Okay. We will uh, maybe okay. try to come to you before the uh, top of the hour. Too Thank loud, you. or I would stick a phone on the. Uh, I'd stick a phone on the on the lectern. No, we will uh, hear maybe check in with you at the very end. Thank you, Arthur Schwartz. Okay. Really appreciate it. All Thanks right. a lot.
You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, and we're streaming live at WBAI.org. This is special coverage of the public advocate election here in New York City. The public advocate is a watchdog for the people, a counterbalance for the uh, uh, other powerful people in government, and and importantly, the next in line in succession to the mayor. Uh, that's technically, uh, of course, but, you know, also sort of theoretically, because a lot of people see the Office of Public Advocate as a springboard to higher office. If you look back, uh, Mayor de Blasio, and I covered this race, uh, was public advocate. Um, Letitia James, uh, most recently the public advocate, is now uh, the attorney general for the state of New York, uh, doesn't work out that way for everybody, but uh, it is uh, very much, uh, you know, potentially potentially a platform and a bully pulpit for uh, people to um, for people to move on to to higher office. So I guess while we are waiting for uh, uh, Jamani Williams uh, to have his victory speech, and we'll try to come back to Arthur uh, a little bit from now and see if we can just get a, a recap of that. Um, before we go to our next guest, who's going to help us do some analysis of this. Um, just returning now, we are we are getting to the uh, the end of the line here in terms of the uh, live uh, real time results from the New York City Board of Elections, and um, with ninety one point six five percent of scanners reporting, we have Jumani Williams for the It's Time Let's Go Party uh, with thirty three point zero three percent. We have Eric Ulrich of the Common Sense Party nineteen. Point two one percent, and in third place again, Melissa Mark Viverito of the Fix the MTA Party at eleven uh, percent square. So, uh, not uh, not exactly uh, uh, completely uh, uh, not exactly a photo finish. You know, from what it looks like. Again, this is these are uncertified results. There are other uh, potential votes to be counted and so on, but. Uh, does not look like exactly a cliffhanger. And we have uh, coming up a guest uh, who will help us parse this out a little bit more. And uh, we are pleased to uh, welcome to the program uh, Mark Chisano. He is a columnist and he's an editorial writer for Newsday and for AM New York. He writes the morning newsletter, uh, morning newsletter, I'm getting so excited, AM Express on city politics and people. And he's also author of the story collection, Marine Park. So, Mark, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us and helping us uh, figure out what's going on here. Thanks, Les. Happy to be here. Uh, so I know that you have a column to write, so I will not take up <laughs> too much of your time. But, okay, so uh, looks like, I'm, I'm not going to uh, officially call it until the stamp is on it, but uh, uh, Jamani Williams looks like he's having a pretty good day. Big lead, right? Yeah, lead. looks looks like that. So, uh, you know, what do you think uh, if you look at if you look at some of the uh, the breakouts on this? You have, uh, as we mentioned, you know, Jumani Williams uh, about thirty three percent. Eric Ulrich, the Republican, a uh, little over nineteen percent, and uh, Melissa Mark Viverito at about eleven percent. What does it all mean? Well, one thing that we've been thinking about tonight, um, my editors and and me, uh, is the impact that this has on Mayor Bill de Blasio for the next uh, couple of years, the remainder of his term, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because Jumani Williams has been 
you know, at times an ally of de Blasio, but also pretty outspoken in his criticism of de Blasio, right? Yeah. Uh, particularly on elements of police reform and de Blasio's marquee uh, affordable housing initiative, which Jamani Williams, I believe, voted against. He's one of very few who did. Um, and so, you know, you have you have a guy who is sort of politically motivated to uh, criticize the mayor very quickly for the next couple of years because, um, as you know, Williams is going to be running again for a primary very very soon, right. in June, uh, the primary in June, and then a general in November. And so there's a, and then if he has uh, designs on De Blasio's office himself in 2021, he'll have to be criticizing the mayor even more. So I wonder if we're going to see less of that kind of compromising Jamani Williams and more of that activist, uh, uh, critical Jamani Williams in with regards to de Blasio. Well, that's interesting. And, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier about whether uh, whether public advocacy is kind of a freestanding job or whether it really is just the official springboard to uh, to being the next mayor. Um, you know, is it? Is it public advocate, PA, you know, uh, in the same way we were making the joke before that uh, AG stands for uh, uh, aspiring governor or awaiting governor, you know, is it like PA is like politically ambitious or, you know, what is that? I mean, is there any way to parse that out? I know that's that's an on the spot question, but. (laughs) Recently it has been, right? I mean, we had the last one and Tish. Um, you know, one one just to see the power of that role. Maybe we can look at one role that hasn't been such a a, a, a springboard, which is the city council speaker, right? So now you have Melissa Mark Riverito, who did, was not able to make the jump tonight. Um, right. She's following her predecessors, who also haven't, Gifford Miller and uh, Christine Quinn. Mm. Um, so you know that role hasn't hasn't worked out to be such a such a board. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Partially, you know, you're elected just for your council district, and then it's your peers who are choosing you for uh, for the role of speaker itself. Um, so you don't you don't have that sort of citywide acclaim. But it is a little surprising because it is a pretty prominent role, in some ways more powerful than the public advocate, who has you know very small budget and few actual duties. Um, but it uh, it just it just hasn't it hasn't worked out that way, um, and I think part of it might be that you do have to do that kind of compromising as a legislative leader that you don't need to do as a public advocate. Where public advocate, you can be pretty full throated, so maybe that has part of the uh, that might be part of the reason why it's, it doesn't sort of translate into electoral success. Yeah, I mean that's always the thing that I've thought about, and I've been covering public advocate for uh, an embarrassing long, <laughs> embarrassingly yeah. long time. Yeah, you know, I like I, you know, right? recapping that. But yeah, for a while, I mean, I covered <laughs> it when, uh, uh, when Bill de Blasio ran. And, you know, before right. that, I covered Mark Green and Betsy Gottbaum. Yeah, you know, just like way to date myself. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, it's some people have always said, like, look, a public advocate, you do have this soapbox, you do have this billet, you know, bully mm-hmm. pulpit, but you don't have money, you can't, uh, unilaterally like uh, enact legislation you can uh, make requests you can initiate lawsuits but how much power does it really have I'm just curious to see if you know or what you think about the idea of the public advocate's office becoming more powerful should it be more powerful or would mayors do everything they could to make it less powerful 
Right. I mean, and certainly Bloomberg did, right, with Mark Green, as you, as you were covering and writing about um, in terms of the funding. Um, right, right. I, I, and then there are, the, I think there's these two poles, right, of where what people want to see the public advocate become. I mean, on one side, you have uh, critics who say, let's just get rid of this whole thing. This is a waste of money, right? It's just a bully pulpit. It's for advancement. Um, on the other side, you have people who say, well, you know, we have it. It's a citywide role. You do need someone who can be next in line to the mayor who was elected, right, who isn't just the controller. And, uh, you know, maybe we give them more power. Maybe we give them uh, the, you know, subpoena power or, um, or, or authority over the Department of Investigation. Um, so, you know, I think that we haven't really decided which way we want to go. Uh, Speaker, you know, Cory Johnson has suggested putting a little bit of the 311 uh um, role on, under the uh, public advocate as well. So I think this is still pretty, pretty fluid. It could really go in any direction. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that. That is absolutely true. Um, one thing I did want to, and you've been very generous with your time. And I know you have to write, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it out pretty no soon. <laughs> but um, you know, one thing that we were talking about just a little bit earlier was that there were some uh, damaging stories about a variety of candidates, or unflattering stories about a variety of candidates, and you know maybe. To the, you know, you could say, uh, you know, any press is good press, or you know, as long as you spell my sure. name right, that kind of thing. But there were some, there were some stories questioning um, certain things in uh, Councilman Williams's background. Uh, but he did get these uh, major uh, 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 newspaper endorsements. I'm just curious, right. as somebody who writes for newspapers and as somebody who personally spent uh, over 20 years in print newspapers. Does this tell us anything about uh, whether newspaper endorsements still matter? Or is it just, uh, you know, the stories broke too late and people didn't see them? Or maybe they just didn't care? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I uh, think on the one hand, you, you hear a lot of people uh, talking about the power of the New York Times endorsement uh, for Jamani, which um, sort of, you know, helped him kind of finish out the campaign pretty strong. Um, I was I was talking to uh, one very smart uh, strategic consultant from Albany uh, this morning who was sort of going through the, um, the, the his estimated turnout for the night, and he was saying how you know look at first he was thinking seven hundred thousand that's the sort of benchmark of the from the primary in twenty thirteen for the mayor, uh, but then he started subtracting you know ten thousand hundred thousand hundred twenty thousand because of the lack of coverage that this race had been getting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think there was no coverage at all, but uh, there, the, the, the fact that it wasn't front-page news every single day, I think you, you have to say that that's one reason that there was slightly less turnout than there could have been. Speaking of turnout, actually, I did look back at your uh, your piece that you wrote just uh, the other day about uh, predictions for turnout in this race, and uh, um, you had flagged, I think, one one person who had it initially initially as high as right. five or six hundred thousand, but then it dropped down, um, right. you know, a little bit. And right now, I'm looking at again, we're not yeah, done. Where are we, now? Uh, we are at ninety three point twenty seven percent of uh, uh percent of precinct uh, excuse me of not precinct of scanners reported uh and i am at three eight one six eight four which i gotta say falls right within your uh, window so uh yeah, no, good a, you man good i mean giving me estimates <laughs> yeah no you did but you said like you know I, I distinctly remember reading this you said like the initial was mm-hmm. bruce um it was bruce said to you right that it was going to be thought yeah. initially yeah, like five to six hundred but then it was going to like 
you know, get winnowed out and, you know, it's a weird time. and It's, it's February. It's kind of cold out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and also, who the hell votes in February, right? I mean, right. and it's for a public time. advocate for a single office. So, you know, your your estimate, and I was, I was frankly, like, no pressure, but I was waiting, like, through this program <laughs> to see. I was like, gee, you know, I wonder how close that estimate's going to be. Not bad. Not bad there, man. All I mean, right. We did all right. Yeah. You did. <laughs> no so, prize for it. But, I mean, you know. <laughs> so... Um, well, the prize is that every listener of WBAI uh, is uh, very thankful to you for your for your prescience. Um, That's right. I'm uh, glad to hear it. <laughs> but going back to going back to um, say uh, when Mayor De Blasio got elected, he's like, "Well, we had a mandate," and everyone's like, "What? Really? How many right. people voted in that election?" Is like nineteen percent. You know, it was, just, it was like it was not an overwhelming majority of people who voted. They said, "Yeah, you got a very very strong share of." the tiny percentage of people who could have actually shown up relative to the entire registered electorate. Um, do you think this means anything for for Jamani Williams, uh, the eventual victor, presumably, sure. going forward? I mean, I think that, you know, this is not my quote, but isn't politics uh, whoever shows up, right? I mean, that, that's, who, that's who makes it happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the other thing that I'm, I want to look at a little bit more carefully tomorrow once we can kind of parse the assembly districts a little better, is um, what to make of Eric Olbert's Eric um, strength in, yeah. uh, in, in, in Queens and Staten Island. Uh, you know, he's, he's at something like 20% right now. And again, I think there's different ways to read that. You could say that this is sort of a big sentiment of, you know, uh, of anger at de Blasio and sort of some Democratic priorities in the city. On the other hand, just looking very just at that 20% number, um, you know, that's not that far off what Nicole Maliotakis got in the mayoral contest. Uh. And everyone else, pretty much every other elected official in the race was a Democrat. So, you know, I, I don't know how I don't know if, if, if he really jumped beyond the sort of Republican uh, base in the city. But we'll see. We, I think we do have to look more carefully at the assembly districts. I think that's a really good I, I mean, I think that's a really good idea. And again, I just I'm trying to emphasize for all the years that I did this and that I used to put it up on mm-hmm. the uh, the blog, Daily Politics, that I used to run. These are unofficial uncertified results uh you know (laughs) there might be uh paper out but although this was a little bit of a different uh a little bit of a different election in that uh nobody had to reach the uh the threshold to avoid a runoff right whoever was going to win it was going to win it although this looks like a uh um you know pretty clear cut if i'm not wrong pretty clear cut uh um uh outcome here um that's right we did have these we we were a little concerned this afternoon uh talking about oh, what if someone only gets 1% more than the other? And we talk about uh, counting absentee ballots and that kind of thing. But we didn't really get there today, it looks like. Right. So uh, any, uh, before I let you go and like let you get back to your, you know, your real job, um, anything <laughs> anything that I didn't get to ask you about or anything people should be uh, thinking about? You said you're going to be thinking about um, about uh, breaking this out by ADED. Um, what, Definitely. And then, and then, definitely, just seeing what comes next for a couple of these other candidates, right? Uh, you know, Michael Blake. It sounds like he's uh, doing pretty well in his home borough of the Bronx. You know, what comes next for him? Was he looking at running for any other offices? Someone like Don Smalls, who you know had no elected experience before this, pulls off you know four percent more than some elected officials. So I don't know. I wonder what what comes next for her. So 
we'll see. We'll have a lot to parse here. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. So, um, uh, Mark Chisano, if people want to read your work, read more about you, uh, and learn more about what you do, where should we send them? Definitely. Sign up for my morning newsletter, amny.com slash amexpress. Uh, check it out online. Okay. Um, perfect. No, really, really, again, I know you are. See, all right, listeners, WBAI listeners, this is a man who's willing to help out another reporter <laughs> on deadline. Let's all take a lesson. Really, really, really do uh, absolutely appreciate it. So, uh, Mark Sano of, uh, of Newsday and uh, AM New York, thank you so much for being here with us on WBAI. Thanks, Ian Celeste. Great to be here. All right, peace. And if you are just joining us, this is, again, WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio. And we are also streaming live, WBAI.org. We are listener-supported radio. Uh, We are happy to bring you this special coverage of the New York City Public Advocate Race. I'm Celeste Katz. I am your host. We are coming up at the the top of the hour, but, uh, you know, interested to hear from people, of course, uh, uh, you know who you voted for if you didn't vote if uh if you ran into trouble at the polls did you get your sticker um you know that's that's always the very the very important question did you get your sticker um but also you know we've been talking a lot about what's next for the office of public advocate and always the question is what's next for the person in the public advocate office so um you know, we uh, we are very uh, uh, closely watching this. I'm just going to give you a little update on the uh, results. Again, we are getting these in uh, semi-real time from the Board of Elections. Not a gigantic turnout compared to the, uh, I believe it's over 5 million people registered. And this was not a partisan election. Um, but, okay, here we are. As of... Um, Just a few minutes ago, the New York City Board of Elections reports uh, with 93.96, so just under 94% of scanners reported. We have Jumani Williams of the It's Time Let's Go party, um, 33.1% of uh, the vote. Eric Ulrich with uh, the Common Sense party, 19.07%, and in third, with 11%, Melissa Mark Viverito of the Fix the MTA Party and uh, the former city council speaker, of course. Um, lots of other people here coming in. Uh, uh, pretty much, I think, everyone else. Let me just check. Looks like they're in the single digits. Uh, Michael Blake, Don Smalls, uh, Adonis Rodriguez, Danny O'Donnell, uh, Rafael Espinal, uh, Latrice Walker, although I I believe she was the one who asked that uh, she have her name removed or that she be taken out of contention. Uh, Ron Kim, Benjamin Yee, Mally Alec- uh, Manny Alejandro, Namiki Konst, David Eisenbach, Jared Rich, Anthony Tony Herbert, uh, Halal Sheik, and, of course, those 677 people who voted for write-in. Um, you know, there's always uh, some contrarian uh, so uh, you know, very interesting to uh, very interesting to see if uh, if uh, he's uh, uh, 
who's going to get the the uh, the most numbers of write-ins? I say Max, our engineer for tonight, who's doing a uh, yeoman's work, putting up with my like jumping back and forth between oh. uh, storylines and and well, screens. We do have Arthur Schwartz on the line. Oh, we, we do. Well, but Giovanni is still speaking, so oh snap. Well, uh, he wants to hold up the phone. Hold up the phone. Maybe we can okay. hear that. Okay, live let's, report here. We have uh, moments to go, but live report here from uh, Jumani Williams Victory Night Headquarters via. Arthur Schwartz. Uh, uh, so, uh, so I'm here. Giovanni is on the stage. He just finished his long list of thank yous to people who supported him. Um, I think most sometimes it's corny uh, uh, politicians getting introduced by their mother, but uh, I happen to have sat with Patricia Williams, his mom, uh, cleaning petitions when he was running for lieutenant governor, and uh, she. She uh, shaped this guy and taught him to be humble, and she was the one that introduced him tonight. And there was a very excited group of people here. It is a extremely, uh, you know, multiracial group uh, with people from across the city, and uh, it's a it's it's a very interesting day for for New York City uh, with the Germani's, uh entry onto the scene as a public advocate and someone who has promised that he's not, he said it on my show last week, he's not running for mayor. Uh, in oh, 2021. really? No, he said it on my show. He said he's not running in 2021. Uh, he's not someone that uh, says something and then takes it back. Um, he's going to be public advocate and could well be public advocate for the next 10 years. But I'm assuming somebody may step forward and so someone in the, uh, although or, the closest Democrat was Mark Viverita, who got about a third of his number. Um, the, the loudest uh, opponents of his, uh, like Namiki Kant, got about uh, uh, one fifteenth of his total. Uh, but who's counting? We'll, but who's counting? I'm counting. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to talk about. Uh, about ten of the candidates actually qualified for public funding that meant they, they got a five hundred thousand dollars we got between five hundred thousand and a million point something dollars uh, each uh, a lot of public money got spent uh it could be for some of these candidates they uh they could have gotten more votes by paying people to come out and vote for them um uh you know they're like maybe ten dollars a vote or twenty dollars a vote uh and it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be interesting to look at this new eight to one match and what impact it has uh, in this race. Um, it certainly kept a lot of candidates out there, but whether it uh, it really changed the way people look at the um, look at elections, I'm not, I'm not sure that it did. But it, it's part of what made it possible for so many people to run, and that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing. Um, no, and, oh, so. no, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, I'm sure. You know, you would agree, being a, being an expert in this area, but the purpose of the public financing system is to make sure that you know, money, uh, personal wealth, or whatever is not a barrier to getting involved in public life. That you're not always going to be at a disadvantage if you wanna if you wanna work for your city and you wanna represent your your community. Just because you know you're not, you know, running around with a bag of tens and twenties, right? You know, and I want to I want to do a little shout out. Um, there was one candidate, Ben Yi, who's a good sure. friend of mine. He sure. lives near me. Uh, I didn't, you know, who who raised enough money to uh, with small donors, almost only small donors, 
to get them in. He had to have 500 donors who made who donated less than $275, uh, and he had to raise $62,500, and he was able to do that and get matching funds. And even though he only got 2.6 or 7% of the vote, um, he ran an incredibly positive campaign and put a lot of ideas out there. And as somebody who you know, ran it the way that people should run it. And I just want to give him a shout out for doing that as opposed to, you know, someone that ran on a negative, negative, uh, a negative campaign and uh, trying to rip down other people. So, and that, and he's the kind of guy that, that I think that the um, public finance system is meant to promote, you know, his, uh, a lot of people said, oh, if I wasn't voting for Jamani, I'd vote for E, you know, you heard a lot of that over the last couple of days. And, um, Oh no! no. So and look, maybe we'll maybe we'll get to that. Uh, you know, the rank choice uh, system uh, eventually here with many of the uh, many of the advances in in election law and administration that we're looking for in New York. But um, as we are getting, I'm getting close to the top of the hour here. Okay. So uh, Arthur, just maybe just give us like you know, 15 seconds, just looking around the panorama. What do you see on people's faces? What do you see? What what's the uh, what's the excitement level like right now? I mean, Jamani Williams extremely headquarters. Excited. Extremely proud, uh, and this is a community I think that isn't used to um, having wins. You know, somebody said to me, "God, we supported a winner for a change." So it's uh, it's a it's a new day. Absolutely. Well, uh, uh, Arthur Schwartz, again, thank you very very much for uh, for sticking with us and for your uh, your live reports from uh, Jamani Williams. What it looks like, Victory Night headquarters in the uh, public advocates race. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. All right. See everybody on Monday. Okay. Take care. Uh, So there you have it. We're just going to, we are coming up to the top of the hour. So I'm just going to give you one more uh, quick last check-in. Okay. We are almost at the end. Of course, the uh, results will keep trickling in uh, throughout the evening, probably have uh, uh, better results in the morning. But as it stands right now via uh, unofficial uh, New York City Board of Elections results, we have... uh, with 95.38% of scanners counted. Uh, here's the tally. Jamani Williams of the Let's Time, uh, It's Time, Let's Go party, 33.15%. Eric Ulrich of the Common Sense party, 18.95%. And in third place, uh, Melissa Mark Viverito of Fix the MTA with 11.03%. Um, again, the uh, uh, the winner of this contest will only be serving a part of the term, and then if they want to go on to uh, to a full term, uh, this is uh, to fill in the uh, uh, the vacancy left by Letitia James, who again is now the uh, uh, New York State Attorney General. We're going to have to go through this all over again. But uh, in the meantime, uh, very very interesting night, very very interesting office, a lot of uh, possibilities here, and. Uh, as we come up to the top of the hour, of course, on BAI, we'll have much more for you. I myself, as a matter of fact, will be back here with you tomorrow night as we go into a completely different story, which is the uh, uh, the congressional testimony of uh, one Michael Cohen, uh, who is uh, embroiled in uh, certain things associated with the uh, the Trump campaign, the Trump presidency, and, uh, and beyond. I will look forward to rejoining you then for our simulcast 
podcast and analysis of uh, of that congressional testimony. Want to thank everybody though for now for listening to this special coverage of the race for public advocate, and we want to give of course extra thanks to uh, everybody who called in to help us out: uh, Ben Max, Jared Murphy, uh, Arthur Schwartz, uh, uh, Mike Chisano. Uh, who else am I missing? I'm missing some one other. Oh, Amy Lowprest, of course, of the uh, campaign finance board. And naturally, as always, special, special thanks to our engineer in the studio here with me tonight, Max. So, Max, thank you very much for uh, putting up with uh, all this uh, all this excitement. He's, uh, he looks very calm despite uh, all the, the thrilling <laughs> the, the thrilling action going on here. Uh, we will be back with you in the morning, or I will be back with you in the morning. Again, thank you so much for joining us. For WBAI-FM New York, I'm Celeste Katz. Stand up, stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Don't give up the fight. Hey, preach a man, don't tell me. Heaven is on the earth. I know you don't know what life is really worth. WBAI's local station board elections are underway, and we encourage you to vote. WBAI has to make up another 3% to achieve listener quorum, another 210 or so listener votes, and another 20 or so votes to achieve a staff quorum. Please look out for your electronic ballot from vote at simplyvoting.com. If you haven't received a ballot and you are a listener member or a staff person at WBAI, write to the election supervisor by emailing NES, which stands for National Election Supervisor, NES at Pacifica.org, and visit elections.pacifica.org for more information. All ballots must be received by March 5th in order to be counted. The local election supervisor is holding office hours at WBAI to help facilitate those voters who need help casting e-ballots on February 27th and on March 5th. This is by appointment at the station at 388 Atlantic Avenue, the third floor in Brooklyn. For an appointment, call 413-424-9569, 413-424-9569, or email les underscore wbai at pacifica.com.
LES, standing for Local Election Supervisor, LES underscore WBAI at Pacifica.org. Again, we are looking for more listener members to vote in WBAI's local station board elections. We're looking for listener members to vote and also for staff to vote to achieve staff quorum. This is listener-sponsored non-commercial Pacifica Radio, WBAI in New York at 99.5 FM, streaming at WBAI.org. What has happened to the little brown bats, to the spotted tree frog? What will happen to Homo sapiens? Join us for the very first reading of a powerful solo performance that grapples with being a human in a time of mass extinction. Live at the Commons Cafe, 388 Atlantic Ave in Brooklyn on Monday, March 4th. Doors at 6.30 p.m., performance at 7.30. For tickets, go to onguardarts.org or wbai.org. We hope you'll join us. This is Gil Scott here, an unknown bluesologist, speaking to you on Free Speech Radio, WBAI 99.5 on your radio dial. Stay here. going on here. (laughs) Hello everyone. I am Christine Blasdale and I am so excited today. We've got some amazing content that's going to be coming your way. Yes, we are in our fun drive and uh, you know, the beautiful thing about these fun drives is that every, every so often a thank you gift comes around that is just amazing. And I have in studio with me a human being who is equally as amazing and just an incredible, incredible human being, Mr. Mark Torres, who is the director of the Pacifica Radio Archives. And Mark, we've got an amazing package uh, that we're going to be offering today that is brand new and really is an an amazing accomplishment that you and the team um, at Pacifica Radio Archives has put together. It's called the Encyclopedia of Sound. And tell our listeners a little bit about this uh, this collection that you've you've got put together. Okay, well, thank you for inviting me onto your show, Christine. This is a wonderful occasion to inspire our Pacifica listeners. And we started this three years ago when we realized that technology and information were becoming had met at a crossroads where we could actually take a great chunk of our collection and put it onto a very handy 64 gigabyte USB drive. In that first year, we had over 1,300 hours, the best of the best of our collection. And then last year, uh, we added 
a little over a thousand more hours to that collection. <laughs> and thanks to the generous donations of the Pacifica family, we were able to digitize another thousand recordings. So in volume three, we are introducing another thousand recordings in our great history of recordings for Pacifica Radio going back to 1949. Wow. And I mean, it's it's no simple feat, just even the the original uh, 1300 hours. I don't th- I don't know if people can wrap their minds around that. You know, that is that is a, a lot of content. And these um, for listeners who are not familiar with the audio recordings, many of these, well, I would say all of these, right, were taken from tape. That's right. It's a it's a painstaking process where we have to go. First of all, Pacifica Radio Archives, we are preserving these tapes for all of these years in temperature and humidity controlled environment. That is no inexpensive feat. The vault. Yes, it is the vault. (laughs) The cold vault. And we have to pull out those tapes and we have to take a look at the tape formula. Every formula over the years, they change and they, they age in different ways. Some are more delicate than others. And then we have to put them on these handmade Swiss made in the 1980s tape machines that are very gentle with these tapes, do the transfer, and then we have a digital uh, copy that we're able to, you know, offer in these great packages. Now, some of the names in our archives reads like a who's who in American history. Oh, yes. Names like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, Alan Watts, but also uh, Alan Ginsberg reading Howell from 1956, Rosa Parks also from 1956, early Dr. Martin Luther King from 1957, the first Bob Dylan recording 1962 when he was 20 years old, James Baldwin, the list goes on and on and on. And Pacifica was there to give space to these incredible people who were masters in their particular area of expertise. And here we are 70 years later, and we still have these, and we're offering them to you, the audience. And these uh, these recordings, too, um, many of them, they're... They're not. Av- I mean, they're not available anywhere else. These were Pacifica Radio correspondents, uh, uh, volunteers, um, uh, and uh, people like that that were going out all all these decades, gathering. Um, and it wasn't like it is now with a little tiny mini little recorder you can put in your pocket. I mean, it was it took a big heavy piece of equipment to record these, right? Yeah, up until you know the 1970s, we were using reel-to-reel machines. If we went to remote locations to do these recordings, many of them were done in our studios, but you're right. Many of them were also done at uh, remote recordings. So these are unique recordings to Pacifica Radio. From all of the different stations. So so you have um, recordings that originated in, in the, on the East Coast in New York and um, in, uh, in, here in Los, in Los Angeles and in, in the Bay Area and in Berkeley as well as is Houston as well? Houston yeah. and Washington, D.C. Wow. So, yeah, we've got five listening areas. And, you know, and then we'd have reporters that would go out even further than that to do recordings like in London where we have a 1964 recording of Dr. Martin Luther King or during the 1968 uh, Chicago Democratic National Convention where a team of Pacifica people were out in Chicago uh, recording these 
amazing events that took place in American history that you don't hear about that much, but are very relevant. Uh, just today, as a matter of fact, we licensed our 1968 Night in Chicago documentary to an education service that is going to distribute this recording to over 150,000 students based in Arizona. Wow. So these recordings are unique. Pacifica was doing these recordings 20 years before NPR was even thought of. So there are many recordings that are they're unparalleled anywhere. Now you had just you had mentioned too that some of these um, recordings were um, were done you know out of out of the country and one of them you had mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. the uh, in London in 1964 and um, we I want to play I want to play a clip from that particular audio recording that you have but before we do um, I want to give our audience a an idea you you have a massive collection of Dr. King. Like, like, how many hours would you say that you have, that you have uh, uncovered, that you have in, the, uh, in this collection that we're offering? Okay, we have recordings from him from 1957 to 1968 when he died in April. So in that time, we probably have maybe three or four dozen unique recordings of Dr. King um, in various stages of his career, from uh, promoting nonviolence to pro proactive with the civil rights movement to the anti-war movement, yes. uh, partnering with, uh, he was about to do the Poor People's March in Washington when he died, and he was partnering with many other groups. So we have the entire arc of his professional career in the Pacifica Radio Archives. Amazing, amazing. And then, and this is all included in this very special offering uh, that we're... we're um, How do we're, people get this? They, it's easy. They call up this number. 516-620-3602. And you want to ask for the Encyclopedia of Sound. This is from Pacifica Radio Archives. It is a three USB drive with literally over 3,600 hours of content that you will not find anywhere else on this planet. It is a compilation. It is brand new from the archives. It is the most expansive and diverse collection of historic audio recordings that has ever been offered. And um, again, it is a, uh, available to you for a $250 pledge, but it is the Encyclopedia of Sound 3 USB drive pack from the Pacifica Radio Archives. Call this number 516-620-3602. And simply ask for the Encyclopedia of Sound. And we are going to, just so you get an idea of what is, and this is just one tiny, tiny, tiny portion of this uh, massive collection. We're going to play this clip from Dr. King in London, December 7th, 1964. But before we get to that, can you give us a little bit of a, a backdrop on this particular clip? Sure. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King had arranged to do a non-secular presentation in London earlier in the year, but he got nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. So he decided to rearrange the calendar so that the presentation that he would do earlier in 1964 would actually be done in December of 1964 on his way to go pick up his Nobel Peace Prize. KPFK actually had a European correspondent based in London, and he was the only person with a reel-to-reel -reel machine that lugged it on over 
to the church where this presentation was made and recorded it. It's the only recording on this planet of this presentation. And is this re- something that was recently uncovered? It was recovered a few years ago. Um, it was only discovered because, uh, I mean, it hadn't been played before because it was on a tape format where he was recording on the left channel in one direction, and then it automatically started recording so you wouldn't miss any of the speech backwards on the other channel. So if you tried to play it, you'd hear a forwards and backwards, and people just said no. And it's so, somebody, somebody with less um, technical uh, expertise would have thrown it away and <laughs> said it's no good. Yeah, so um, when, I, when it came to my attention um, with our digital technology, we're able to take that reverse channel, flip it, add it on to the wow. first track, and, and here you go. So this is a relatively recent discovery in the last couple of years. And this is, um, and you're, you've been able to do this kind of thing thanks to the support of our listeners who have helped, uh, basically um, allowed the archives to uncover these um, amazing, and if you hadn't, it would keep deteriorating, right? The oh, tape- yeah. Yeah, these, these, these tapes are disintegrating as I speak. And uh, we have a, a five-year window to digitize the rest of our collection. And every donation that comes here to KPFK helps the Pacifica Radio Archives take care of our history. Exactly. So we have a goal of 16 people that we need to have call in this hour to reach our goal. If 16 people value this incredible collection We'll make our goal for this hour. Easy peasy. We can do that. Here's the number again. So please give us a call right now at 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. Let's now listen to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this is in London in uh, December 7th, 1964. This is one of the things that is basic in the nonviolent philosophy at its best. It gives one a way and a method of struggle which says that you can seek to secure moral ends through moral means. It also says that it is possible to struggle against an evil, unjust system with all your might and with all your heart and even hate that unjust system, yet you maintain an attitude of active goodwill and understanding and even love for the perpetrators of that evil system. Now, this is the most misunderstood aspect of nonviolence. And this is where those who uh, don't want to follow the nonviolent methods say a lot of bad things to those of us who talk about love. But I still go on and believe in it because I am still convinced that it is love that makes the world go round. And somehow this kind of love can be a powerful force for social change. Now, I'm not talking about a weak love. I'm not talking about emotional bosh here. I'm not talking about some sentimental quality. I'm not talking about an affectionate response. It would be nonsense to urge oppressed people to love their violent oppressors in an affectionate sense, and I have never advised that. When Jesus said, love your enemies, I'm happy he didn't say, like your enemies. It's pretty difficult to like some people. But love is greater than like. Love is understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. Theologians talk about this kind of love with the Greek word agape, which is a sort of overflowing love that seeks nothing in return. And when one develops this, you rise to the position of being able to love the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. And I believe that this can be done 
Psychiatrists are telling us now that hatred is a dangerous force, not merely for the hated, but also the hater. Many of the strange things that happen in the subconscious, many of the inner conflicts are rooted in hate. And so they are saying love or perish. This is why Eric Fromm can write a book entitled The Art of Loving, arguing that love is the supreme unifying force of life. And so it is wonderful to have a method of struggle where it is possible to stand up against segregation, to stand up against colonialism with all of your might, and yet not hate the perpetrators of these unjust systems. And I believe firmly that it is through this kind of powerful, nonviolent action, this kind of love that organizes itself into mass action, that we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation and the world into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Certainly, this is the great challenge facing us. Mm. I got chills. I got chills on so many different levels. That was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in a very rare recording that we wouldn't have we wouldn't have been able to hear it if first of all if it wasn't for Pacifica Radio Archives being in existence and also the dedication that uh, Mark Torres the uh, archives director had in painstakingly putting that together from a deteriorating uh, uh, tape audio recording and again this is available to you on this brand new collection it is the encyclopedia of sound not one, not two, but three USB drives packed with over 3,600 hours of content. And it is the most expansive, diverse collection of historic audio recordings that have ever has ever been offered. And you can only get it right here, right now, by calling this number. 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. This is a priceless collection. It is well worth thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. But uh, we have this available to you for your donation uh, of $250. And that donation of $250 is going to help support this radio station that you're listening to right now, but also help the archives so that they can continue this amazing work that they do. I couldn't think of a more important thing than to preserve the voices of like Dr. King, Fannie Lou Hamer, who we're going to hear from in just a bit, Alan Watts, uh, Rosa Parks. You have so many people on this three USB drive, the Encyclopedia of Soundmark. It just blows my mind away. But that particular clip was just so so beautiful and important for people to hear. Especially today in the context of um, what's going on here in the United States and worldwide. Uh, this... Uh, I, I think I really think that we get into um, situations like we are in today because of ignorance of our history. And this is a great way to combat that type of ignorance. This is a great you're getting a master's degree in American history and world history. Uh, it's a Smithsonian of sound, a library of Congress of sound. But it comes from Pacifica Radio. The Library of Congress has designated the Pacifica Radio Archives collection the number one collection of its kind, uh, and um, and this is now part of it is now available for you today. A two hundred and fifty dollar donation. Uh, if we can get four people calling in the next four minutes, 
uh, that will make a big impact on what we raise in this hour. Uh, believe me when I say that we licensed one program, one program to uh, one um, in, uh, media interest, and uh, it was an over $2,000 license for one program. You're able to get over 3,000 hours of this material for a $250 donation. This is a several thousand dollar collection that's being oh, offered to you <laughs> for a $250 donation. That's how much we care about you having access to this material. It's an education of a lifetime. And uh, for it to be able, for you to be able to get this at this um, very modest donation as a gift is uh, our gift to you. Exactly. And, uh, and again, in, in addition to, of course, you have the Black History Collection, which has uh, the recordings of Dr. King and um, Malcolm X and Huey Newton, Rosa Parks, Paul Robeson, Nelson Mandela, Billie Holiday, you name it. But you also have a, a very comprehensive women's history collection. You also have the audiobooks collection, which is one of my favorites, and it features um, readings of George Orwell's 1984, the entire uh, classic Tolstoy's War and Peace. There's so much in this. And we just want to make sure that we get as many people to have this content and this material. And I encourage you to get a few of these packages and get them out to the schools, get them out to the high schools and the junior high schools. Our young, the young people today need to hear this. They need to be as focused on this type of material, this type of hope, this type of the, the beautiful struggle, as they have said, the beautiful struggle, this kind of information, more so than being, you know, 20 hours on the Xbox or the Facebooks or the Instagrams. This is what knowledge is. This is what power is. And to see young people be lit up after hearing this kind of content, to, to, to hear the stories of Fannie Lou Hamer, to hear what she went through just to get the right to vote, this is what we need to get out to the world. So please do give us a call, fo uh, folks, right now at 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. If it's a $250 contribution, it is worth $250,000, actually more than that, but it is called the Encyclopedia of Sound. It's one, two, three USB drives packed with over 3,600 hours of the most priceless, precious audio content that has ever existed. And you will not get it anywhere else. So don't even, you could go and try, but you're not going to find it anywhere else. Only here, right now, and this number, 516-620-3602. That is the number to call. And I want to play, um, I do want to play another uh, clip from Dr. King because the collection that you have in this um, uh, three USB drive, Encyclopedia of Sound, is so massive. It is, it is, uh, it is like one of the, the best collections of, of, of any audio recordings of anyone that I've ever seen. But this one, um, this clip in particular, is the uh, maladjustment speech. That's it. And uh, this is also, this is in uh, 1964 as well. Yeah, this Correct. is also from the uh, the London address. Um, he was originally going to give a speech on on South Africa, uh, but as time went by, people were more interested. This is still very early on in his career, and he's still being uh, called names by uh, his enemies here in the United States, uh, mostly from the Republican Party. He was labeled as a communist and and uh, other derogatory names and. 
so people wanted to know more about nonviolence. They wanted to know about his methods. You know, they had known about Mahatma Gandhi, but, you know, that was a long time ago in a different continent. They were very interested to see how this um, black preacher from America could could start and rally and inspire a movement of nonviolence here in America. So, um, so here um, in this speech, he he changed the tone from South Africa to more about the concepts of the nonviolent movement, and um, and here he talks about um, well, some people are calling him maladjusted. Well, you can just <laughs> go on talking to me that way as long as I do it my way, which is a nonviolent and peaceful way. Wow, that is power. That is so powerful. Let's listen now to Dr. King from 1964. And please keep your calls coming. We have phone answers rushing in to answer your calls. You want to get the Encyclopedia of Sound, over 3,600 hours of content, and the pledge amount is just $250 at 516-620-3602. You know, there are certain words in every academic discipline that soon become stereotypes and cliches every Academic discipline has its technical vocabulary. Modern psychology has a word that is probably used more than any other word in modern psychology. It is the word maladjusted. You've heard that word. This is the ringing cry of modern child psychology. And certainly we all want to live well-adjusted lives in order to avoid neurotic and schizophrenic personalities. But I must say to you this evening, my friends, as I come to a close, there are some things in my own nation, and there are some things in the world which I'm proud to be maladjusted, to which I call upon all men of goodwill to be maladjusted until the good society is realized. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to become adjusted to segregation, discrimination, colonialism, and these particular forces. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to adjust myself to religious bigotry. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few. I must say to you tonight that I never intend to become adjusted to the madness of militarism and the self-defeating effects of physical violence, but in a day when Sputniks and explorers are dashing throughout a space, and guided ballistic missiles are carving highways of death through the stratosphere. No nation can win a war. It is no longer the choice between violence and nonviolence. It is either nonviolence or non-existence. The alternative to disarmament. The alternative to a greater suspension of nuclear tests. The alternative to strengthening the United Nations and thereby disarming the whole world may well be a civilization plunged into the abyss of annihilation. And I assure you that I will never adjust to the madness of militarism. You see, it may well be that our whole world is in need at this time for a new organization, the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Maladjustment. Men and women, men and women who will be as maladjusted as the prophet Amos, who in the midst of the injustices of his day could cry out in words that echo across the centuries, 
Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. As maladjusted as the late Abraham Lincoln, the great president of our nation, who had the vision to see that the United States could not survive half slave and half free. As maladjusted as Thomas Jefferson, who in the midst of an age amazingly adjusted to slavery, could etch across the pages of history words lifted to cosmic proportions. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth, who could say to the men and women of his day, he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. And through such maladjustment, we will be able to emerge from the long and desolate midnight of man's inhumanity to man into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice. Mm. Wow. And again, if it wasn't for the Pacifica Radio Archives, that would have been lost forever. Those words warm you to the bone. Uh, don't they? <laughs> Again, that is uh, Dr. King Jr. in 1964 in a very rare recording that was preserved from the Pacifica Radio Archives. And I am having in studio with me the director of the archives, Mr. Mark Torres. We're talking about the Encyclopedia of Sound. This is an offering that we are uh, presenting to you this hour to help uh, keep this radio station alive, but also to keep the archives, the Pacifica Radio Archives, alive and well as well. And it is available to you for a $250 pledge, and you can put it on your Visa American Express MasterCard. It is over 3,600 hours of content that you will not find anywhere else. It is the most expansive and diverse collection of historic audio recordings that has ever been offered. And this is the first time, um, again, that we're offering this to you. And I'm so very grateful to the work that Mark and the team has done here at the archives. I'm so, so very grateful. And we want to we want to play some more clips. We want to feature, of course, um, we want to play a clip from Fannie Lou Hamer. We want to play some Alan Watts. We want to do uh, quite a bit of airing these clips. But we need at least four people right now on the line. What I would like to do is throw out a challenge in the next. What we'll do is we'll play a clip. And as we're playing the clip, the challenge will be thrown down. We want to raise $1,000 during this next clip. And in order to do that, all we need are four people to call up and pledge support and get the Encyclopedia of Sound. Remember, you can get this as a, a gift for someone. You can get this and gift it to a, a library, a high school, a college, a junior high. This is a very, very valuable content that you should be not only you can have one for yourself, but you should also get one for uh, an institution that you uh, believe really needs to have this. This makes an amazing road trip gift because you can put in the USB drive in your car and listen to the entire 12, 13 hour reading of George Orwell's 1984 or you can listen to to music that you've never heard before. You can listen to the entire Black History collection. You can listen to the entire Dr. King collection and get to your destination and feel good about it because you know that you're supporting these voices that you're hearing that need to be heard and they need to be preserved. So let's have at least four people calling during this next clip and the we number to that. call. So please give us a call right now at 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602.
Now, if you want this particular thank you gift, which I know you do, you want to call up and speak to a human being. They are rushing in and answering phones as fast as they can. But we want to make that $1,000 so that we can throw out a challenge and raise another $1,000 uh, after that clip plays. So here is the challenge. We want four people to call up and pledge support or one person calling up and pledge. Listen, we could have someone call up and pledge $1,000 and you will help us make another $1,000 just by your generous donation. And remember, it's a tax-deductible donation to the the fullest extent of the law and it is we only have a couple days left until you can actually donate to a nonprofit organization such as us and this is a great opportunity for you so if someone who can pledge a thousand dollars heck I'm gonna throw it out there if someone can pledge five thousand dollars to support the work that the archives does and that this radio station does please do that right now we have several people I'm sure listening today that five thousand dollars doesn't mean what it means to us and uh, $5,000 will go uh, a long way with us. Will go a long way with us. Yes. And for many people That's in, lunch. in the industry, <laughs> yeah, uh, not a big deal. You know, this is the moment where these are tax deductible donations, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're looking for ways to get that great tax deduction, this is the place to go. Um, the place with news and information, news, culture, politics, poetry, music, cinema. Uh, we offer it all here. And we are going to, uh, we, we want to play some more content so that you get an idea of just all of these amazing voices. What's next? We're going to play, I want to play the Fannie Lou Hamer, oh, well, I want to play this Fannie Lou Hamer clip. If I can't play it all, um, I tell you what, folks, here's, here's the thing. We'll play the entire clip if we can keep the phone lines going. If there's only, a couple, there's only a couple people on the lines, then we're going to cut in. But if, if you keep the phones flooded, we will play. So you're like kind of like a... A program director, kind of, sort of. Now, keep in mind, this Fannie Lou Hamer recording is from 1964, when blacks were, were struggling for the right to vote. And uh, that was over 50 years ago. And here we are today with over 300,000 mostly black voters removed from voter rolls who were legally registered to vote in Georgia. Uh, and the and the um, the governorship was decided by less than that amount. We we have voting irregularities in North Carolina that has halted the midterm election vote count. We have governors and legislatures in Wisconsin and in Michigan that are trying to sway who controls the vote. They want Republicans to control the voting in those states before they leave office so that uh, they can continue with these type of voting irregularities. We had a Supreme Court decision with Scalia, Roberts, Thomas, and the rest of the Republicans that gutted the 1965 Voter Rights Act that would have federal oversight if you wanted to change any of these election laws. They gutted it, and now we see the effects of that ruling. That ruling needs to be reversed because their argument that racism is over is has been disproven. No, and well, here's the thing. If you purge the, the voting uh, rec, if you purge voters who, who have been voting in those states for their entire life because they fought for it in the 60s, okay, and you purge them because they're black or because they're brown, it's not even so much that you're purging them because they're black or brown, but it's because you know how they're going to vote. You know how they're going to vote. So if you take everybody off who's black or everybody who off who's brown, you have an idea that there's going to be more votes for your 
candidate. And this is what it is. It's about stealing elections. And these the, the, the voice that you're going to hear with Fannie Lou Hamer, what she went through and what so many people went through, thousands of people went through just to get the right to vote. This is something that we must we must hear. We must get this out over the airwaves and we must re- always remember that's why we need to fight for this right, the right to have proper and fair elections. If not, then it's th- where, where are we living? in in a dictatorship oh absolutely that um we need to put into context especially the people who did not vote who have principled reasons for not voting listen to this woman and what she went through for the right to vote so that she could have representation in office to help represent her interests and our interests. So uh, as you listen to this clip, please call. It's literally a priceless collection, certainly several thousand dollars worth of recordings that you can get for a $250 donation for over 3,000 hours, even at you know iTunes rates of 99 cents a download. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that would be several thousand dollars. So please... Take advantage of this opportunity and help support this incredible radio station and call right now and donate $250 and get this incredible priceless collection of unique recordings from the Pacifica Radio Archives. Let's listen now to Fannie Lou Hamer. I had been to a voter registration workshop, you know, to just training and teaching us how to register, to pass the literacy test. And it was giving us enough training that we could tell other people, you know, how to pass the literacy test. So we had attended a workshop from the 3rd of June through the 8th. We finished the workshop on the 8th, and then we got the uh, Continental Trailway bus to come back to Mississippi. And we got to uh, Winona, Mississippi, uh, I would say about 10.30 that Sunday morning on our way back to Greenwood, and that was, we had got in 25 miles mm-hmm. of the voter registration headquarters. And the bus stopped in Winona, you know, at the bus terminal, and four people got off of the bus, you know, to use the uh, restaurant to get food, and two people got off to use the washroom while I was still on the bus. When I looked through the glass, I saw the people rush out and one of the girls would have gone in the washroom. She just got back on the bus, and I stepped off to see what had happened. And uh, Miss Ponder told me that it was a state highway patrolman and a chief of police on the inside and began to tap them on the shoulder with billy clubs and ordered them to get out. And I said, well, this is Mississippi. So I got back on the bus, and as soon as I was seated, I saw them when they began to put the five people what was, you know, off the bus, but they wasn't over uh, six feet from the bus, began to put them in the highway patrolman's car. And I stepped off again because I was holding one of the ladies' irons, you know, that they was arresting. And she said, get back on the bus, Miss Hamer. And then I heard somebody scream from the car that she was in and said, get that one there. And then a white man stepped out of a car and told me I was under arrest. And when he opened the door and I went to get in the car, he kicked me. And they carried me on down to the county jail where they had the other highway patrolman had carried the other five. And they 
you know, when I, we walked in, when I walked in with the two white men that had carried me down, and they cursed me all the way down, they would ask me questions, and when I would try to answer, they would tell me to hush. And I, when, we, when I walked inside of the booking room, one of the policemen went over and jumped up on one of the Negroes' feet that was with us, and then they we just began to, you know, put us in cells. And I was put in a cell with Miss Evesta Simpson, and after I was put in the cell, I could just hear some horrible screams and horrible sounds, you know, of licks. And I saw one of the girls was 15 years old was with us when she passed my cell, and she was real bloody. And then they asked the little man that cleaned up the jail to go inside and mop up that blood. And then I heard some more screaming, and I heard some awful sounds. And I would hear somebody when they say, Can't you say yes, sir, nigger? Can't you say yes, sir? And they would call her names that I wouldn't want to go on tape. And she said, Yes, I can say yes, sir. So I said. And she said, I don't know you well enough. And I would hear when she would hit the floor again. And finally she began to pray. And she asked God to have mercy on these people because they didn't know what they was doing. And after a while, they passed my cell door with this young woman, Miss Anel Ponder. And one of her eyes looked like blood, and her hair was standing up on her head, and her clothes had been torn from the shoulder down to the waist. And then three white men came to my cell, and one of them was a state highway patrolman because he was wearing a little silver plate across his pocket that said, John L. Bassinger. And he asked me where I was from, and I told him I was from Rouville. And he said, I'm going to check that. And he went out, and I guess he called Rouville. And they did, didn't like me in Rouville because I worked with voter registration there. And when he came back, he said, you're damn right. They said, you're from Rouville, all right. And we're going to make you wish you was dead. And they led me out of that cell into another cell. And he gave a Negro prisoner a blackjack. And he ordered me to lay down on a bunk bed. And a Negro prisoner said, do you want me to beat her with this, sir? And he said, you're damn right, because if you don't, you know what I'll do for you. And I laid down on the bunk like he ordered me to do. And the first Negro beat me. He beat me until he was exalted. And after he beat, the state highway patrolman ordered the second Negro to take the blackjack. And during the time he was beating, I began to work my feet because that was a horrible experience. And the state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro that had beat to sit on my feet while the second one beat. And I just began to scream where I couldn't control it. And then the white man got up and began to beat me in my head. I have a blood clot now in the outer to the left eye and a permanent kidney injury on the right side from that beating. These are the things that we go through in the state of Mississippi just trying to be treated like a human being. But still, this is called a part of America. Just trying to be like a normal human being, be treated like a normal human being. And isn't it, isn't it tragic, Mark, that what 
she's describing happens also today in this crazy political environment. We haven't seen the beating part, but we have seen the voter no, but we restrictions. Have. We, but, we, but I mean, but we have seen the, the, the lashing out and the brutality because it is acceptable. And it is in yes. some ways, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, encouraged by the highest uh, office in, in, in the country. That's correct. And um, again, folks, if you've just tuned in, that was, um, oh my goodness. I Fannie Lou Hamer, 1964, trying to register blacks to vote <laughs> in Louisville, Mississippi. And she was met with a beating within an inch of her life. And uh, this this recording, along with thousands of other um, very powerful recordings and valuably important recordings as well, are featured in the Encyclopedia of Sound. It is the three USB drive pack from the Pacifica Radio Archives. This package is, uh, of course, the value is hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a million dollars in in content. But we are um, we're able to offer this to you for a pledge for a donation of two hundred and fifty dollars, and a great deal of that is also tax deductible. Not only are you helping this radio station stay alive and to be able to be broadcasting these voices, but you also keep the Pacifica Radio Archives alive at the same time. So it's a win-win situation. Get this information. Get this out to others. And I want to throw out, again, that challenge. I am looking for a challenge of an angel to call up right now and pledge $1,000 or more. If you can pledge $1,000, $5,000, I don't care what it is, but whatever you can pledge, Please do that now. If you want us to read your name on the air, we will. If you want to remain anonymous, that is absolutely fine. But we need to use your donation, your large donation, in order to encourage others so that we can match that. And we only have 10 minutes left in this hour. So I am sending out my bat signal. I am sending out the signal. We're rolling up our sleeves. Yes, we want that angel to come forward right now. The number to call is 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. We have another very important clip that we would like to play, but we cannot get to that clip until we get every single phone lit up. We want it to be like holiday lights uh, (laughs) lighting up here at this radio station, and we can't do it without you, so please do call right now. Over 3,600 hours of content in this brand new offering. It is the most expansive, the most diverse collection of historic audio recordings ever, ever offered. And just some of the folks you'll hear in this collection, of course, Dr. King, Fannie Lou Hamer, James Baldwin, Alan Watts, one of the largest Alan Watts collections in the world, Cesar Chavez, Noam Chomsky, Alice Walker, June Jordan, Gore Vidal, Lena Horne, Billy Holiday, Paul Robeson, uh, uh, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, Huey Newton, Hel- Helen Caldicott, Lily Tomlin, Betty Davis. The list goes on and on and on. And we want uh, to get this to you again. It is a priceless collection, but it is yours right now and not available anywhere else. But right now uh, for a pledge of just two hundred and fifty dollars at this number. Five one six six two zero three six zero two five one six six two zero three six zero two the phone lines are starting to to uh, light up but we okay, want to we, we want to maxed out mark we want them completely full yes i want every single phone line lit up um because this is what's important we're not offering you something that's going to help you lose 10 pounds okay we're not offering something that's going to make you look prettier or or give you vitality of this we are giving you the lifeblood of humanity 
And these are voices, these are people who were taken from us way too soon. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he was taken from us way too soon. Malcolm X was taken from us way too soon. And you know why? Because they spoke out and they spoke uh, truth to power. That's what you're supporting when you donate your $250. Let's get some more lines lit up. So please get to the phones now. Donate as generously as you can. Uh, $250 for our Encyclopedia of Sound 3 USB drive uh, set, which includes over 3,000 hours of Pacifica materials going back to 1949. Uh, we only have a few minutes to go, and uh, we're going to check and see if we, we have, have somebody. Very few, we have very few um, minutes to go, and we have, during the, um, uh, the last clip, we had calls coming in. We have about $1,000 that we need to match in the next... Oh, seven minutes. So that's four people. E- that's four people calling up and getting the Encyclopedia of Sound. It's a three USB drive with over three thousand six hundred hours. And folks, these hours have been painstakingly taken from tape and digitized for you. And they're, they, it comes with a um, an easy-to-read directory. It is super, super easy for you to find this information on these USB drives. Just put it in your car and listen to it. You can um, put it on your laptop. It is so valu- valuable, um, again, worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it is available to you for a $250 pledge. We'll send this to you. It is the most expansive and diverse collection of historic audio recordings ever offered and you cannot find it anywhere else you can't find it out, out um, in, your, in your little walmarts and your box big box stores you can only find it right now and you can only find it by calling 516-620-3602 and you want to get a few of these which i highly recommend getting a few of these packs and and share them with uh, family and friends and loved ones and get it to a school that's what you want to do and Mark, we only have a, about five minutes to go. Let's go, everybody. And I really wanted to play this clip. Um, Which one? The rally one. That that oh. one. Yes. So let's. Um, All right. Well, we're gonna have to check in the in the phone room. We okay. Have, I'll go check in. I'll go check in the phone room. There's but, three callers on the line. Uh, this three USB drive collection with over three thousand hours of unique recorded materials from Pacifica Radio. Uh, More importantly, you're going to have go. my you're going to have our love and appreciation. Yes. You're going to have uh, Mark and I um, absolutely adore you. And if we if you call in time, we can say your name on the air, or you can remain anonymous, but we need to get your call in right now. We only have 3 minutes to go and we need at least another four callers. No, three callers right now at 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. Zero two. This includes the um, entire collection, the latest collection. It's never been offered before. 3,600 hours of content from the Pacifica Radio Archives. Every single penny that you pledge is going to go to help the um, radio station, but also the archives. So it is a win-win situation. And folks, this is so valuable. I cannot express to you how important this is. 516-620-3602. And we only have like a, seriously only a couple uh, quick minutes left. But if you can, Mark, just throw out a couple of the names of the people that they are going, the, the voices that um, that people are going to hear in this encyclopedia of sound. Oh man, it just goes on and on. Uh, in our brand new collection, we did our San Francisco Film Festival uh, recordings. So you have people like Bernardo Bertolucci. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Francois Truffaut, Jack Lemon, Alec Guinness, uh, Eugene O'Neill. Uh, we have 
Howard Zinn, we have Noam Chomsky, we have Anais Nin, Germaine Greer. Uh, it just goes on and on is, with great uh, people in the various uh, expertise. Ralph, Ralph Nader, you have, of course, uh, there's Betty Davis, Dr. Cornell West. You have a great collection of Dr. Cornell West. You have a, a latest um, entry, too, from uh, Greg Pallast. Right, who oh, who has an all star uh, reading of his of, of one of his books, and we also have uh, his latest uh, reports from the voter suppression in Fraud. Georgia. Yes, yes. So, so it all ties in. Uh, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's really um, amazing. Uh, box set of materials going back to 1949, over 3,000 hours, literally two minutes to go. 120 seconds to go. 100 and told. And we have um, right now. Listen, also, if you're calling right now and you're put on hold, do not hang up. Um, it's because the phone lines are are, are getting uh, maxed out, and that means that you're responding. That's great, but do not hang, do not go anywhere. We have um, phone answers rushing in to answer your calls. It's the Encyclopedia of Sound, three USB drive pack from the Pacifica Radio Archives, over 3,600 hours of content. It is a mere $250 pledge, and you're going to be supporting this station, you're going to be supporting the archives, and you're going to be preserving the voices that need to be preserved. Um, not the Trump voices, not the crazy, uh, you know, uh, wacky voices that are out there, but the, the voices like Dr. King, like Fannie Lou Hamer, like James Baldwin, uh, like Rosa Parks, Alan Watts, all of these voices you are preserving for, for future generations. And for books on audio lovers, people who are trapped in their cars, we have complete <laughs> readings of Tolstoy's War and Peace. We have George Orwell's 1984, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, Fyodor Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground, and more. Get to those phones. 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. Take a whole host of these. Take 10 of these packs if you want for a $2,500 pledge. And remember, it's a tax-deductible contribution. Uh, to the greatest extent of the law, we will get a tax write-off there for your taxes. So please give us a call right now at 516 620 3602. Our goal this hour is quite lofty, but we know that we can do it if everyone calls that number. 516-620-3602. Mark Torres, Director of the Pacifica Radio Archives, thank you again so much for all of the work you do and your knowledge and skill is so appreciated by this human right here. So thank you again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And we have a great team in the archives. And I want to thank Gary Baca, my engineer today. I want to thank all of you who are calling right now. And the, since the calls are, since it's backing up, we got a lot of calls. Mark, you want to go answer some? Let's go get some. Okay. We're going to go answer some phones. I'm Christine. Blasdale. Stay tuned for more Fundrive programming coming your way. McCourt here. On Sunday, March the 17th, St. Patrick's Day, the time, 4 to 6 p.m. The place is the Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. 
there will be a film that's directed by Connor McCourt called The McCourts of New York, which lasts about an hour. There will be talk, there will be jokes, there will be jests, there will be humor and fun with myself, Maliki McCourt, and John McDonough. And our Jewish MC on St. Patrick's Day is David Rothenberg. Again, it's on Sunday, March the 17th, from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Commons, which is also the home of WBAI. Get your tickets at WBAI.org. Hi, this is Maria Barreto con Sabor Latino at WBAI New York City 99.5 FM. Inviting you all to SOBs at 204 Varick Street on Friday, March 15th to celebrate Women's History Month. The great lineup we have is comedian Sara Contreras, poet La Bruja. Also, we have Solange on the vocals with the Williamsburg Salsa Orchestra. Vocalist Celeste Polanco will be debuting her new music and Calmencita Sings, as well as many other surprise guests. So, looking forward to seeing you all on Friday, March 15th at SOB's. WBAI's local station board elections are underway, and we encourage you to vote. 